All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Friar Podcast. We're here on episode four. Today's a very exciting day and a very exciting episode here on the Friar Podcast. One of my goals starting the show was to be able to provide a platform for former players to come on, share their stories. And growing up in Rhode Island, you know, connected very much to the Providence community like I have been. You know, some of these guys were our heroes growing up. I remember going to Hendricken where we'd always have the Friar games on the TVs the next mornings watching the highlights. Or if we caught a clip of a Sports Center top 10 play of the Friars, like it would play in, in the cafeteria for like a week straight. So needless to say, the Friars have been such a big part of my life. And I know for a lot of you, um, some of the guys you watched growing up had a large impact on on your basketball dreams, you know, what you were looking to do, uh, you know, in your life. So I'm very honored uh, to have our first Friar alum here on the podcast, Brian McKenzie. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Definitely appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. Awesome, my man. You know, we're going to get things kicked off here, as I do on every episode, with a very hard question. What's your favorite Providence restaurant? I mean, I'd be remiss to 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 not throw Capitol Grill out there, but you gotta, you gotta, I gotta stick true to my roots. You know, obviously, being a college student, I didn't have Capitol Grill money, so I, I was on Thayer Street a lot. Antonio's was was one of my one of my spots. I love the pizza pizza there. Kind of reminded me of home, being you know that they had so many different varieties. So I I'd probably just stick to you know down down to earth and just say Antonio's. Love that. And I actually, I'm going to throw out a Brooklyn restaurant that I've been to because I am in the New York area, as some people know. I've been to Bamonte's in Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Bamonte's. I, I went there once and it was, I forgot what I had, but it, it's a, it was a nice atmosphere. So that's that's dope. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Love my old school Italian places, you know, with the with the wood panelings, you know, driving a cat, yeah. driving like a 1990s Cadillac up with, you know, probably 15 miles to the gallon. Those, th- those are my <laughs> types of places, Brian. Nice. So, so Brian, growing up in Brooklyn, you had a pretty successful basketball career. And I think that it was highlighted by, of course, winning the city championship where you just happened to hit the game winning three point shot. Can you tell me what it was like growing up in Brooklyn and, and playing basketball in such a competitive environment and, you know, having a great successful high school career? Yeah, it was, um, to be honest, growing up in, in New York was, it was a blessing. It was a, you know, uh, inner city kid. Um, parents were fortunate enough. I went to, you know, great schools, um, went to middle school at, at Poly Prep. Uh, there I was fortunate to come across guys like Joakim Noah, um, Jabari Edwards and, and, and a bunch of those, ca- uh, independent school kids. But, um, it was, it was Severian that where I ended up going to high school and I went to high school f- to play baseball. So I originally was a baseball player. Didn't really play back. I didn't play basketball, honestly, at all until I got to high school and just randomly tried out freshman year. Was a was a crazy athlete, obviously. And it just took me because of that. It was just running around, grabbing rebounds, um, probably scored in a, in total, maybe like 13 points that entire year as a freshman. And I just fell in love with the game note and the process, you know, the workouts, the practices. I just fell in love with it and was fortunate that that following year as a sophomore to have Chris Mullen's brother be my coach. So I just wanted to shout out Terrence Mullen. And it was a culmination of that period as a sophomore where, you know, it's like you're transitioning. You're trying to figure yourself out as a young as a young teen. And Mullen came in and actually put me through a few series of of individuals. And that completely changed the way I looked at the game, the way I approached the game. And it elevated me to be an all-city sophomore playing JV, where I played and won a city championship as a, as a junior varsity player. 
which then followed and, and thrusted me into varsity. And I was a two year varsity player. Like I said, you know, that was crazy to score a thousand points in two years. But that junior year, we had a we had a team that was was loaded. You know, we had Levance Fields. He was going to Pittsburgh. Um, we had Saquon Stone. He was getting recruited from Prov, from Philly Dickinson. You know, we had um, a bunch of uh, other young athletes. Zamal Nixon, who went to Houston. You know, we had a, a loaded team and we just couldn't put it together. We had so much talent. You know, everybody wanted the ball. Everybody wanted to score. You know, Levance was looking to be an All-American that year. It was just, it was, we were all over the place. We went to Hawaii. We played Monteverde. We played Rice. We played all of these high-level teams. We played in um, the, the New Jersey shootout. We were, we were there in the top 25 as a high school team. And it was the one stretch where my head coach, Jack Alisi, said, you know what, Levance, you, you, you know, you, you, you can admit it. You've been selfish. You're going to sit for this, this stretch of games. You're not going to play until playoffs. And it forced everyone else to step up. It forced everyone else to step up. And the minute he came back, we clicked. We ran through playoffs. We beat Lachlan. We beat uh, Christ the King, St. Ray's. You name it, we, they, they couldn't touch us. We, beat, we even ran into um, the number one team in the country at the time who had uh, Danny Green, St. Mary's. And they mm-hmm. were loaded. And we, we wiped, wiped the floor with them. And it brought us to that city championship where we, we went up against Rice yet again. It was the fourth time playing them in one year. That's unheard of in, in, in high school when you think about it. And, you know, Curtis Kelly, 6'11", UConn, Edgar Sosa, Louisville, Kashif Pratt, you know, they had Kemba on the bench. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a game of games, you know. So I was free. I didn't care. I was naive. Didn't know <laughs> what I was really into, you know, the stage that I was on. And I just, whenever I saw daylight, I just took, took, I was just taking shots and I just was so, I was so locked in and I have to pay homage to, to Mullen yet again, because of that, that time I spent with him as a sophomore, it really changed me and it really, really um, projected and pushed me forward. So definitely was a major highlight. You know, they called me the shot and anytime I stepped foot in Severian, huge, 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 uh, huge memory. In it and I, I, I'll never forget it. That's amazing. Um, I'm so glad you could share that for our listeners and, you know, share the types of guys who played. Um, you know, in your league and you played up against, you had such great competition and, you know, such a great culture of basketball to start with before you went off to college. And why did you choose PC? I mean, I'm sure you had a good amount of schools looking at you, you know, the league, you had some great competition you faced. And before you, you think of the 97 team first, you think of Jamel, you think of Sham God, you think of Corey Wright. Uh, you played with a good amount of New York guys as well. Jermaine Peterson, Vincent Council, Randall Hankey. So, you know, what 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 was your motivation to come to Providence? Uh, my motivation was a good balance, both athletically and uh, academically. And, you know, um, in high school, I was fortunate to be a part of the IB program, take some AP courses. Um, so for me and my parents, they were they were really keen about that. They didn't they didn't they weren't basketball. We weren't a basketball family. It wasn't basketball first in, in any capacity. So we took these unofficials to, to Yale, to Columbia, and that's where they wanted to see me, you know, because they understood the, the value of, of having that, that kind of education. But I had the athletic mindset like that. I, I got the itch and, it, it, you know, I fell in love with the game. So I found that balance. And, and, you know, schools like GW who recruited me really hard, even, you know, to this day, I still keep in touch with, with, with Coach Brooks. But um, it, it really came down to, to GW and Prov and it was uh, Coach DeMeo. Shout out to Coach DeMeo. Who, he's at St. John's now. But he came in when he was allowed to finally, you know, in person. And we were having a scrimmage. And 
one of uh one of the young players just went to go save a basketball like it was going out we were playing a scrimmage he literally threw it behind his back and it went towards the basket so I unfortunately not unfortunately I just not thinking and I was just such a freak athlete I jumped wherever I jumped from caught it slammed it you know caught a nice little highlight DeMeo jumps and goes crazy and like ever since then the love and the attention that that they showed was 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 tremendous so once I got on campus it was a no-brainer you know Jeff McDermott was there Wayne Miefajuka was there um Donnie was graduating so I saw I saw I saw myself fitting in that in that role so it was a no-brainer plus the academics like I said it, it just went hand in hand so yeah, I mean, we appreciate that. I mean, in in Rhode Island, uh, you know, we have a good amount of col- we have a good amount of colleges in the Providence area when we're able to attract great people, and I think that's one of the best parts about the city is that we're able to bring in good people, and hopefully, sometimes we're able to keep them in the state of Rhode Island, as there's there's not a lot of us here in total. But in terms of your freshman season, the 2006-2007 Friars had a good amount of success. You guys were a young team that had a lot of success, you know. Other than Herb Hill, Sherrard Curry, and and Wamey, as you mentioned, they were younger, and you, and you had a young nucleus of guys on the team. And you know, you finished in Big East play 500, 18 and 13 overall. Tell us about your freshman year, you know, and the success that you guys had. Uh, freshman year was a major transition. I, I came in young, hot, cocky, brash. Um, I remember when I first met my my, uh, my freshman class. It was Ray Hall, Dwayne Williams, and uh, Jamal Barney. You know, we all kind of realize oh have I seen us did I see you at this tournament I saw you at this tournament you know so we kind of clicked up early um Ray and I obviously we went to ABCD camp together but we had a we had a you know summer scrimmage we're in in uh, we're we're not even really freshmen yet because it's that transition period and I'm doing what I do in high school I'm shooting from from five feet behind the three-point line and I'm actually you know I'm doing what I do and McDermott goes you better get those shots out now coach ain't having it (laughs) <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me? And, you know, so we exchanged words. I hit him with a quick F you or something like that. But it, <laughs> it was, it was the moment that one of the all time great friars, Ruben, Ruben Garces, he was there yeah. for an open run. He, 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 he pulled me aside and he, he really took me under his wing. And he said, you listen, young fellow, <laughs> I like your energy, but you got to realize what, what you're doing here. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just coming in. These guys are veterans, but that helped me transition from being a high school 18 year old, you know, into an actual collegiate player that that moment right there. And then the success that we had as a team, it, it speaks volumes, obviously, to a guy like Herb, like you said, uh, he, he did his four or five years, was in the trenches and had an amazing breakout season. He stuck to it. So having him as a mentor, too, really gave me. The, the 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 ground level ground foundation in order to you know get through any any trials and tribulations so when we put it together we realized that first game i think it was we played syracuse and herb had a had an amazing game and he's getting nba looks and everyone like the buzz around us is like kind of going and everyone's like and i think i scored three points i think i hit one three point in that game you know and freshman whatever but from there, I kept seeing myself get more minutes, not looking to just score, like pl- playing against the best player or offense, defense for for free throws and, you know, fighting through injuries and being able to do that. Like you said, the success brought us to the NIT. We um, we lost to like Bradley, I think it was mm-hmm. Bradley. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I want to say Dwayne and I played over 20 something minutes in that game. You know, we were, it was a seven man rotation and we were the two guys off the bench and in our first, first year in the college world, you know, for unfortunate loss, but that was definitely a, a, an amazing season and, and a great way to break into a freshman year. You and Jeff McDermott going at it is pretty, is, is pretty funny to me because it's like two, two New York alpha males just being like, Hey, like, you know, this is my team where, you know, I'm going to take this shot. And he obviously had a great career as a friar. I mean, you talked about her. We talked about Herbert Hill. He, he actually may be one of the most underrated friars of all time. Like got drafted NBA, NBA player. You know, I think about him. I think about Marcus Doughton, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as two of the best big men from uh, my era of being in middle school and high school. So shout out to those guys. And let's talk, let's talk about sophomore year. So sophomore year, you come back, you're averaging 11 points a game on 40% shooting from three. You have some great personal success. Let's talk about the growth. Uh, that was that was a great that was a great summer. Um, I locked in into the gym like no other. I was I were I actually went away to I want to say it was Ohio. My dad just randomly had a had a had a connection to a former friend that just like I said it was very random. He he went to Pitt years ago, so. I stayed with him over the summer and we did three days, you know, got thousands of shots up each day, worked on post up, worked on, you know, pick and roll like nonstop. That summer was nonstop. And it really just came together, you know, despite the fact that we had a few injuries that year. I know for a fact my skill set and the way that that growth would have would have would have translated regardless. But I, I honestly could say that the work that I put in. It, it was crazy. <laughs> we were doing three a days. I'd wake up in the morning and have to ride the the bike at a certain PPS or whatever it was, and not that if I dropped, I had to start over. And it was it was that crazy. My conditioning was next level, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I remember starting that year with practice. We did uh, closeout drills, and I hate to sh- I hate to throw him under the bus. That's my guy, but John Colley was closing out on me. You know, so, you know, first play, first, first drill of the, of the year, he's closing out on me. I hit him with a jab right, go middle with the left and just raise up off the right leg and just, just demolish the rim on his head. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, all right, Mackenzie, you're here, you're here. This, this year you're here. Okay, cool. You're good. Let's get it. <laughs> it was that simple. Jonathan Collie's a tough, he's a tough dude too, right? Like big dude. Yeah. 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 Wow, so. that's a that, 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 that's a great story. I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up. And you talked about some of your teammates. You had some iconic guys, including probably the most iconic friar of all time, Ray Hall. I mean, just just I mean, like I was talking about on the previous podcast, like the the announcers at one point during that stretch of Big East were like, "How is Ray Hall still on eligibility list? This guy's been here for ten years. Like, I, like this is he's got to be the most talked about guy in the Big East." Uh, and I know that you guys are close friends, but, um, you know, who are some of your favorite teammates, uh, some of the favorite guys that you played with? Hey, well, you got to start it right there. You got to start it right there. Um, Ray Hall, we, we, we've been in the trenches. We played, like I said, we were in ABCD camp together. You know, um, I, I'll never forget it. We'll go right back to sophomore year and then I can, I'll, I'll, I'll transition again. But we, he had his biggest game sophomore year against Notre Dame. He came on and Heron Gody was, you know, All-American, preseason All-American. He just came in and just had like a stretch where he scored like maybe like 12 points in a row. But it was a close game. And it, they, he got fouled. It was him. Clear as day. He was so tired. He, you know, he's never played this much in, 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 in consecutive minutes. So he gets fouled. And the refs kind of were in a haze of like, who got fouled? Who, where, where, where did the foul come from? And Ray, all Ray does is point to me. And he goes, 
it was Mackenzie. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget that. But uh, we ended ended up having a, you know, solid career. I mean, he made the best of it, to be honest. You know, he dealt with so many injuries. But um, I loved the relationship I had with Dwayne Williams. He um, he definitely was a catalyst in in terms of building my confidence. He he kind of let me realize like, yo, you you're, you're, you you got it. Like you're six four. You have you got it. B. You you got a chance. You could go. You can go. He he was always in my corner. Um, and then obviously, I'm thinking of the elder statesman. Herb Hill was always there. John. Um, I had a great rapport with everyone, to be completely honest. Jeff Xavier, when he transferred, he definitely helped me with consistency on my shooting form. And then the young guys that I had to, that I helped mentor, guys like Vincent, Bilal, Greedy, like that's one of the things that I think I did well. And I meshed with all my teammates. You know, I, I, I was the kind of player that I'd do whatever the team needed. And, you know, everyone got along. I got along with everyone. So I couldn't really tell you the one favorite or pretty much all four years I had a great rapport. You can even go further with the Kino guys with Johnny Lacey and mentoring those guys. Like it was, it was tough, but definitely was, it was part of my DNA to, to be that, to be that guy. Well, for me, I think of you in two different eras. I think of you with the Herb Hills, Sherrod Curry's and, and Wamey's. And then I think about you with the Jermaine's, the Jermaine Peterson and the Vincent Council. So, and the Marshawn Brooks. So, You know, I I see you as you were, you know, the young guy who came in, you know, and built relationships with the with the, uh, you know, the Herb Hill teams. And then you were the OG for the, you know, for the Marshawn Brookses and the Vincent Councils and Jermaine Petersons who became all became great PC players. So shout out to you for, you know, that transition. There's not a lot of guys who can, you know, move from one team to another because they get so emotionally attached to one group. Yeah. But let's, let's talk about your switch of coaches. So Tim Welsh out as Friars head coach had a couple tough seasons to end his, uh, his Friar career, which by the way, shout out to him. He's probably in next in line to be the, uh, the Celtics, uh, play by play announcer. He's been with them for a while and, uh, he's done some great work on ESPN and y- you moved to Keno Davis, a relatively unknown coach, you know, had, a, had, you know, one year at Drake and then all of a sudden, you know, comes over to Providence and we'd be remiss on this podcast not to talk about February 24th, 2009, a day in which I came home from school, my dad looked at me and said, I'm going to the game tonight. You have homework to do. And I said, no, no, no I want to go to the game. And he was like, no, no, you have homework to do. And I missed the best game of my life being a lifelong Friar fan. So I'm quite sad about that. But we need to talk about one of the best games in Friar history. So let's start with Keno and then let's get to the great game against number one Pitt. Um, yeah, that transition was tough. Um, obviously coming off of a, a solid, you know, statistical sophomore year we obviously struggled, you know, we struggled. We had so many injuries as a team. So, you know, it was unfortunate coach Welsh didn't get that last opportunity on his contract to, you know, to, to see his guys off in terms of the juniors and seniors. And realistically I was a, a, in limbo class because we only had a, at that point, Dwayne was transferring, Barney was transferring and Ray Hall and I just were holding down the fort. Um, but I had no choice. I, I I didn't know anything else. I didn't know about the transfer pool. I didn't know about all of these other things. It was, all right, they have great academics. You, you had a successful year. It should be smooth sailing going forward. But not to say that it wasn't smooth, but the, like you said, that, that transition is tough. You know, like having that support and knowledge that they known me and saw me from high school and helped me progress to becoming this young man to now having randoms, strangers, essentially. Um, but they did a great job in terms of, you know, their situation. 
you know, they, they, they handled what they could. Um, that junior year, we had an amazing team. Honestly, I think we underachieved. We should have went to the NCAA tournament. Um, but hey, you know, we still had some postseason play. Always fortunate, regardless when you think about it, to have postseason play. But that pit game, let like you said, let's get to that pit game. It was it was unbelievable to be honest. Uh, I'm obviously matching up against guys that I went to high school against with you know, with LeVance Fields, um, played AAU with Terrell Biggs. And, you know, they have Dewan Blair. They have Sam Young, who's project. These guys are projected on the NBA uh, lottery picks and stuff like that. So it's like you get your adrenaline for that game is is on another level. You know, it's especially you see that number one, you see all these ESPN, these cameras and so on and so forth. And the way I want to give him his credit too, the way John Colley approached this game and the energy he had on the layup line in, in shoot around um, pregame meal, it was un it was unbearing. You could tell like maybe something, someone was in his air. Like, listen, if you destroy Dewan Blair, you may have a chance at the NBA. Like this is right here. This is your meal ticket to the NBA. And that's how he approached it. And we fed off of his energy. Jeff McDermott came and was playing at a high level. Um, Wayne was, was clicking on all cylinders and it was a, it was a blitz. We literally blitzed them. I, I want to say we were up 20 with like 12 minutes to go in the first half or something like that. Like it was bad. You, you had, I remember, so you had a run out dunk. I remember like where, where, you, where you finished, where you finished with authority. That was awesome. And, um, in terms of Jonathan Callie, he had the quote after the game where he said, we didn't come here to get rolled. We didn't play tonight to get rolled. I think that talks about like exactly what you're saying. Like that was his mindset. Like mm-hmm. we, we, you guys were here to, you guys were here to play, but go ahead. You had, you had a nice, you had a couple of nice clutch free throws to end the game as well. So continue. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was at that point just playing a role. I was, I was, I, I, and I've done that my entire basketball career from high school, just playing a role. So I'll go, I'll just bring it together where I was a sophomore you know, Coach Muller needed me to score. He's like, listen, you're, you're talented. I need you to score more. Fine. End up averaging 30 points as a, as a sophomore. You know, I get to my junior year and coach is like, I need you to play defense and, you know, spot up and average average 11 points. But then that following year, he's like, I need you to score. And there you go. I averaged 19 points as a senior. So whatever I, I needed to do for the team to win, that's what I did. You know, so I didn't score that much, like you said, against Pitt, but I was I was on Sam Young, like, like white on rice. <laughs> I wasn't giving up anything, anything LeVance was trying to do. I, I doubled off or whatever, but any, any opportunity for a, a little highlight, I was there, you know, I, I valued my, uh, my ESPN top 10 potential. So I definitely, that game right there is one for the ages. I mean, I'm sure I, don't, I haven't been to campus in, in forever, but I'm, if they don't have that court that John Colley kissed at the end of that game, I'm I'm pretty sure we they need to get it because that that was epic. It, it it was amazing. I mean, the vibe in the city for like a month a month after that was like we we had we had just you know won the NCAA tournament. Like everybody was so psyched up, and like on that team, it had so much talent. Like you mentioned, like Ashton Gibbs and uh, Brad Wanamaker, former Boston Celtic. He was on the bench of that team, yep. so. I mean, it, it just, they were so deep and, and, and we had a great team as well, but you know, it's like when, it's like you said, when you see number one, things change, you know, the vibe changes, you know, the, the stakes are a little bit higher. So 
shout out to you guys. It has to be, you know, one of, if not the top prior win of all time. So it, it's, it's kudos to you guys in that group for pulling off something special like that. Yeah, it's definitely got to be up there. It's got to be because, like you said, the buzz <laughs> for a month after it was just crazy. It was it was totally real. And other than the pick game, what were some of your other favorite moments lacing them up for the Friars that that you can think of where you were just like, wow, that was pretty special? Uh, so for, uh, freshman year, uh, you know, obviously had a bunch of breakout games inconsistently, but one that stands out is uh, Notre Dame when we played them at, at their place. Uh, I forgot if it was Rob Kerr's or it was, I think it was Rob Kerr's. He went up for a dunk and I, I just came out of nowhere from the blind side and just pinned it, just got completely out of there. Um, I remember that being the ESPN top 10 play that week. And that stood out for me. That was, it was crazy. Kobe was on there. They had hockey games. It was like the big one. It wasn't just all basketball players. It was like the big number one top 10 you know so that was huge for me i'll never forget that game and then um obviously my career high sophomore year um playing against i think it was rutgers um mike rosario and those guys i, I grew up with a lot of them playing with them played with uh, mike coburn so having that breakout game you know i think I, I believe i scored like 27 points um had an exclamation alley-oop dunk to put it to, to put on top of it um games against harvard playing against jeremy lynn I remember completely just head to head, just dominating him that that sophomore year. The games, game oh, can't even forget it. But games against UConn, all all of those games had such a different energy. Um, I remember just can, one mindset. We 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 kind of like just had our own mini mini bounty between all of the guys. Like who was going to be the first to dunk on the beat? <laughs> you know, you get you get lunch lunch on you if you if you actually whoever did it. Um, I remember those games. Um, Another game, obviously, UConn, where I went four for four from three. Um, just, I think I was eight for eight from for overall, and we just beat, we, we just destroyed them. I think that was the game where, because there's a couple of games. I know he, I know Calhoun went crazy uh, about the, the Gomes game, that he didn't recruit Gomes. And then there was a game where we caught at least like four or five alley-oops in a row, and he went crazy in, in the media so that was one of my favorite games. And then obviously Pitt, Pitt, Pitt takes the cake, hands down. So ma- ma- makes sense. I mean, those are, I mean, with UConn back in the Big East, exciting times for us. I mean, I definitely think they needed the Big East uh, to come back to because quality of play that they had, even though, you know, you got your Cincinnati over there and you got your Memphis and some other good teams in the American Athletic Conference. But at the end of the day, the you know, Big East is the, is the brand that we all come to watch. Yeah. So um, in terms of your professional career, so you played after PC, uh, you got to travel and, and see some amazing places and play in some different parts of the world. Like tell, tell us all about playing overseas. That was a grind, man. And, and all of the young hoopers out there just understand that basketball is a grind completely, but there is, it's a business as well. It definitely is. And um, as a senior, you know, I had a, a, a lot on my plate. You know, I had a whole bunch of young guys that I had to mentor I, I knew the transition like, yeah, start just because you're a senior, but you, you at the three minute mark, if you're not clicking, you're coming out. Like I, I just knew that I got the, I got into that rhythm and, you know, mentally you can, you can see there was a decline in my, in my eagerness to play. So it was, it was a hard, it was a grind. So it, it, it came to a halt when at the, my last game, I think it was, it was, it definitely was senior night. We played Seton Hall and I fractured my ankle. 
And that was like a, a, a supreme low point to culminate the the two years with Kino. So I, I shout out uh, Coach Chris Davis, um, who understood and felt where I was mentally and was like, all right, I, I'm okay. I'll miss the Big East. Um, I, you know, I want to preserve myself and potentially play after. And he, he definitely talked me through that, worked, worked with me. And um, I was fortunate. I did my rehab. I was in the weight, I was in the weight room with Coach White. Uh, I got right before graduation. And the get back, once I got to New York, I was in the gym consistently. I, I had to make it. Uh, it was like a, it was like a, just something in my head, like I'm not done. I'm not finished. And I signed a deal in England and I was nervous. I got out there. I wasn't I didn't have my, my ankle wasn't tested. Like I wasn't sure I haven't really played hard on it. But when I got there, the first thing they did, they, I got off the plane. They brought me to the gym and they were like, all right, let's shoot around. So, you know, I started shooting around and then one of the guys was like, let's play one on one. So I'm playing one-on-one. I'm like, all right, let me, I'm shooting jump shots. I'm, I'm a little rusty, but then it just, I found the rhythm and it clicked. And I got my, I essentially got my mojo back from playing that one-on-one, had a solid career there, um, ended up going to Germany, um, played in Germany and got to see a lot of Europe through Germany, you know, had a great career there. Played with guys from Seton Hall, Paul Goss, um, Jamar Nutter, um, so that was that was amazing too. And then I did a year in Canada and did a year like kind of it was I transitioned from Canada to the prof- a semi-pro league in New York. I mean in Connecticut mm-hmm. because obviously the way the rosters were they 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 pulled it was they tried to they're trying to run it like the NBA is kind of so they they'll sign you but if they don't need you then you're just on the roster. But I played both and then I did my last two years where I played in the Middle East. So the first country I was in Qatar, beautiful country, um, completely westernized. It's yeah. <laughs> super yeah. hot. Yeah, they have like pizza hut out there, right? Yeah, yeah, they got all of that <laughs> stuff. They got everything. So it wasn't really like the Middle East, but it was there and it was beautiful. That's you know that's where they hold a lot of um, um, trainings for Olympic athletes and you know rehab for high level athletes around the world so that was amazing um that was in the best shape of my life in when i played there uh, i averaged about 30 points a game just complete just complete beast mode <laughs> but um my final career my final landing spot and i say i retired there was when i went to saudi arabia so i went to saudi um and i was playing for the 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 holy in the holy land uh, i was in mecca so i couldn't do anything at all had to you know take out my earrings and you know yeah. i couldn't wear my couldn't wear my my little chains and stuff like that so i did my season uh, i killed i i honestly destroyed that league and then got home and i just i didn't have the 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 energy or the the want to actually travel and to play anymore you know and uh that that's that's spoil it i, I honestly the ball it, it stops bouncing at some point, you know, and I, as much as I still had left of in my legs, at least in a, a game, it just, it was mental. So I just kind of, you know, was like, I think I'm, I think I'm good here. Had a solid five years. So couldn't complain. Great places, great experiences. I'm sure, you know, it's like amazing things that basketball and, you know, networking and, and culture can provide. So, you know, kudos to you and congrats on all that success. And, 
in, in terms of your, your steps after playing, you started coaching, um, you started your own training company. So you've done a little bit of it all. And, you know, I'd be curious to know, you know, people think that all these things come together the same way, you know, they are different parts of the game. So tell us about your transitions to coaching and, and training. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not as easy. Um, it really isn't. And you, you think like, Oh, you play basketball. So, you know, the game you could coach or you could train. And there's so many trainers out there and so many opportunities with, with AAU to coach. But, um, for me, it just, it started, obviously, um, my company that I created was called baller size. And it's like, obviously basketball, but the, all these other sports, soccer, you know, football, um, the essential, root of what they are is exercise right you're, you're running up and down and you're doing all of these skills and so on and so forth to stay in shape so I kind of blended that you know I got my LLC and you know I started creating a platform and a program where it's fun it's innovative it's not necessarily detailed to one thing but you can have different avenues that cater to all of these sports you know so I did that um and rest in peace to my mom she she kind of pushed me in that direction in terms of business, um, to utilize my, my, uh, degree, which was great. You know, so I created the LLC. Um, I started really, really smart. I went to my high school, offered the, the team at the time, you know, freshmen, sophomores to just train and work out with me during the summer. And, you know, the coach saw my, my rapport with the kids. They saw they were getting better, you know, and so on and so forth. And then I started from there getting to do individuals and, um, it, it actually did. I actually did really well, to be honest. I, like you said, the networking and all of those experiences that I had from overseas kind of came together. And, uh, I, I got, I had clients in, in the city, um, you know, re really high level clients working with a lot of kids and families that were upper echelon that really embraced and, and loved what I did. And from there, I was able to take the actual LLC and create a non-for-profit. So I turned it into a not-for-profit um, AAU program, essentially, but I offered mentorship, which I'm still doing. Um, obviously, can't play. And, you know, a lot of those kids are transitioning now that I used to work with are transitioning into college, which is great. And I'm, and shout out to those kids that were always that uh, baller size elite lum. Um, but yeah, it was it was something that you you would think was easy, you know, but you got to think about the paperwork, the, the the loopholes and all of these things that if I didn't have my business management degree, I'd kind of just be like, okay, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> I'll just do whatever. But uh, it, it definitely worked out. And um, it, it's, it, it's the fruits of my labor are still there. I, I'm fortunate enough to say that I'm mentoring a young lady who's actually at Providence right now. Her name is Julia Fabozzi. She went to my high school as well. And, you know, I keep in contact with her. And make sure you know check mental check-ins and so on and so forth. So the program yeah. and the company is is still still alive and 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 kicking. That's great to hear. And you know, giving back to your community, New York. New York's not New York's not for everybody. Like I, I'm I'm in the New York area. Like you know, there be days where I'm getting off the New Jersey path at 33rd Street, and uh, you know, I, I have about the, you know, I have no breathing space. There's no air literally to breathe. You know, when I'm getting off the subway, and you know, that's. That, that that's not for everybody. And, you know, being surrounded by 200,000 people, you know, on a block at, at 845 in the morning, uh, you know, which we, we don't know if that's what it's going to be like coming back from COVID. But for a lot of people, it's it's New York or nowhere. And, you know, you've come back, you've, get, you've given back a lot. And talk about your time at Success Academy Charters and, and your work, um, you know, as an athletic director there. Um, yeah, that was a that was also a great transition. Um, 
putting together a resume, some, some these simple things that, you know, a lot of a lot of individuals, they grow up with that background where, all right, you go to school, you get a job, and this is how you get a job. You know, not a lot of a lot of young men and women in my demographic don't have that. You know, so I was fortunate my parents definitely fostered that in me from young and understanding what it is to be a professional, you know, essentially is what it is to be a professional. So when I had the opportunity to transition um, and to actually to use my platform at a, on, a, on a bigger scale, it was when I saw the opening at Success Academy. So uh, being an athletic director, I was like, hold on, an athletic director, what do I have to do? So if I read the description and I'm like, I do that for my program every day. You know, I handle the logistics, I handle all the money, you know, like, so I, I, I know the ins and outs and I know how to actually run an, an organization, institution, however you want to put it. So once I got the job, it was a no brainer. You know, um, I was in charge of the whole, obviously the whole athletic department, you know, the soccer team, the volleyball team, you know, the basketball team. So that, that was huge. And um, once they saw what I was able to really bring to the table is when I, I got a promotion right away. And I became, I was, I'm to this day still in charge of the uh, basketball content for all 47 schools. So uh, definitely love what I do. And, you know, like we said earlier, it's like, what is work if you, if you actually love what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? So pretty fortunate. A hundred, a hundred percent. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you get one life and you got to do the most with it as possible. And, you know, not forgetting where you come from after, you know, all the success you've had is, is amazing to hear, you know, and, and, you know, I, I love my community of Providence so much. And that's, you know, why I wanted to start this platform. I wanted to give people content they enjoyed and, you know, bring positivity, um, you know, to something we all believe to be the professional sport of Rhode Island and that's Providence basketball. So transitioning back, um, let's talk about the state of PC basketball today. You know, we have Ed Cooley, uh, grew up, you know, on the South side, local guy has, has come up the ranks and, and really just proven to be a solid coach for us for, for such a long period of time while also giving back to the community as well. I know you're a fan of the team now. What do you think about what Ed Cooley's done for the culture of the team and, you know, where the team is today? I think I think it's great. Hands down. I mean, you can you can try to give detail and, and really narrow down each season. But overall, like you said, the main thing is the culture that he's created. Right. And that, that's been amazing. I, I've made sure to keep in touch and, and, and um, have an eye on the program since 2010 when, you know, I left and Vincent Council was there um, with guys like LaDante and you know, seeing him come in on his visit when I was still a senior, you know, so seeing that transition and guys that I still had had actual contact with was huge. And, you know, putting it together when they when they won the Big East tournament and the consistency that he's been able to put on, put out, put on, put forth for us as fans and, and to, across the nation, just being a part of the NCAA tournament for six, six seasons. I'm counting this past season because of the the elite finish they had, you know, winning five beating five top 10, top 25 teams. Mm -hmm. So that consistency is huge and it's not easy to do. You know, it's not easy, um, especially when you think about it. Providence is is a super small school, you know, and they're notorious for getting three star, 3.5 star players. But to bring in all Americans like Chris Dunn, you know, and to just have that rapport is just huge. And I, and I, I wish him all the best. And the continued success, because I think one more thing to add to this quick question is that history and that that uh, consistency of having a coach that you played for years after 
leaving is 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 huge you know so yeah. we like i don't i don't have that and i know there's a lot of guys obviously throughout the pc pc basketball uh community where they've had changes but to have that consistency and that stable for a guy like even as his earlier classes like ladante who's now about five or six years removed about or even may, maybe less but to go back and know that you recruited me you're still here and i still have that rapport with you that that's huge and i think that's great that that's an amazing point it just it just creates such a feeling of community and when the guys come back to the games you know they get they get a lot of love and they can look over and that's their coach that they play for you know it's right. like it's a lot of great memories that can you know be brought back to them and in terms of Ed, he, he just seems like a father figure to, to a lot of these guys. Like, like he just cares so much about these guys. He cares about their success. And, you know, for all the, he gets so much national attention. Like every time he goes on TV, they're like, wow, like, I love that guy. He's so real. He's so, you know, genuine. And, and, you know, he just, he, he tells you like it is. And um, he comes home and he just wants to be a part of this community, you know, more than anything. Like he's gotten other looks from other schools and, you know, he, he knows that like his story and, you know, his personal brand is like rooted in Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, that's that's huge. And and honestly, it's a dream. That's a dream job. Honestly, that, that's what you call a dream job. So um, shout, shout out to him and definitely the consistency. I, I know um, when I coached, I didn't I, I didn't speak about it, but I coached at the collegiate level myself um, at Baruch for four years. And I was able to broker a scrimmage between Baruch and Providence the year that they actually played the game. I, I didn't I didn't uh, coach that year. I was sat on the sidelines with um, with Dominic one of the uh, all-time friars uh, and just literally thought, looked at what I was able to put together. And and I was just like, this is amazing. And, you know, it's just, I can't believe I even forgot that. Yeah. I coached, I coached collegiately too. And that, that was, that was amazing. I know I want to shout out uh, Kevin Kerbeck who um, was mm-hmm. a contact who's on, on staff now. And, you know, I was able to get them to gym in the city for when, when they came to the Big East. And I was that contact for them to, for that new facility uh, using Baruch. So, yeah, definitely huge. And I, I definitely wish, wish the future Friars and, and, and Cooley and all of his staff the best, man. Definitely. Yeah. I'm actually going to add in a, a bonus question as well, too. With all everything going on in the world today and, you know, so much social media out there, you know, when you were playing social media, wasn't as, as prevalent, you know, I think we have, I'm thinking back, you, you were during my high school years, even before that we had like MySpace, but you know, we didn't, we, we didn't have the social media platforms we have today. You know, David Duke, perfect example, you know, he's very active on social media and fighting, you know, against social injustice and, you know, just doing his best to be, you know, more than an athlete. You know, what do you think about what the, the NBA, the NBA has been doing and a lot of these college basketball players have been doing and like how social media has kind of changed the landscape for them? Yeah, um, I'll take that as in two parts. So, yeah, first of all, we we had MySpace. <laughs> so I, I remember that. And uh, we kind of transitioned into the Twitter and Facebook. And um, I honestly wish we did have it. You know, the amount of the amount of dunks that I, I, I caught, I, I would have probably had a couple thousand followers extra. <laughs> but um, to be to, to bring it back and to be more serious, uh, I think the fact that we're able to use social media to have a voice is huge and with everything that's been going on for years for it to come to light like it has it's amazing that we're gonna have social media to keep the conversation going you know and having players with platforms like 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 David Duke and the guys and all the guys in the NBA um, one of my good friends Danny Green he, he's very active with it as well um, it, it's it's only a matter of time till we can actually say 
that everything is out there in the open and really being addressed. And I think that it's huge um, when you think about the injustices, both with um, social social injustice and all the inequities with with um, with the with women and in sports and so on and so forth. It's everything's out there now, and we we're waiting mm-hmm. to just actually have it all addressed. And even with college athletes, you know, essentially being paid, and that conversation is being ha- is happening now as well. Um, I I just, like you said, I think that social media is a great tool to keep the conversation going. And my hope is that it's not just a conversation. I hope the solutions are put together and, uh, can benefit, you know, especially for a guy like me, I got two young boys. I want to see them have those, the the, reap the, those, those benefits, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, shout out to the big East, you know, I feel like they've done a lot, uh, you know, with BLM on, on the jerseys and, you know, Coach Cooley talks about it, you know, where half half the coaches, you know, in the league are African-American and he's so proud of, to be a part of it. He's, he's talked constantly about how great the Big East has been with everything. So shout out to them and kind of close out here. What's the favorite, what's your favorite game you've watched, you know, for Friar basketball, just being a fan since, since, since you played? Um, it has to be, it, it definitely has to be that, that, that Big East championship has to be the Big East championship. The, the, the way not, not well, the run that Bryce Cotton had, leading into that was unbelievable. I think he's a, a, an amazing athlete. I actually follow him now. He's playing in uh, Australia, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's killing it. But when I think about that game, uh, that's, that's top. That's, that's number one for me. But then I also got to pay homage to, to my, other, my other counterpart, uh, Marshawn Brooks, when he was on oh. a tirade, t- just literally destroying the Big East. And he scored, what is it, 52 against Notre 52 Dame? 52 points. There you go. Yeah, I would be remiss not to bring that up. Um, he's actually still playing professionally and killing it. You know, he's in China, just had like a 60 point game or something like that. So, um, yeah, when you put those things in, in perspective, it, you got to you obviously have to put those championships at the, at the forefront. So definitely that run and the, the, the way that Bryce was able to play definitely stands out to me. I mean, nothing but good things to say about Bryce Cotton on this on this podcast. He was my year at PC, and I don't know one person who he was engaged from his moments in the classroom to meeting with people on campus, like to you know playing in games. Just so humble, and he just understood his journey of you know being a guy that wasn't heavily recruited, was a walk on, and you know came in and just just took nothing for granted. Just just enjoyed. It looked like he enjoyed every single moment out there. And, he took advantage. Uh, yep. Yeah, and, and, and huge shout out to Marshawn as well. I took the whiskey shuttle with him one time. That was pretty fun. Um, that's my guy. Uh, he would definitely remember me. <laughs> so, oh, man. So, so shout out to Marshawn too. And Brian, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show here. I love the conversation. And I just wanted to give you a chance here to give a closing message to all the Friar fans watching out there. And Well, I want to first thank you. Shout out to you. The, the platform you're creating is huge. Um, I wish you nothing but success. Um, to all the Friar fans, I'm wishing you well anyone affected with with uh covid uh, or or anything going on in these bad times i wish you well just keep the faith and um keep 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 high high spirits that's as much as you can um basketball is bringing us that joy right now so please tune in i know they canceled the first two home games for pc but you know we just got to maintain and honestly you can't measure you can't measure where we are now just got to stay put our heads down and keep grinding all right. And 
be on the lookout. Coach McKenzie will be be on the TV somewhere near. And if it's not me, one of my young boys, one of my young young sons will be be dunking on someone sooner enough. I was going to say, one of your boys has got to be like class of 2035 Providence someday, right? Well, we'll see. I mean, honestly, my my three year old is a is a ridiculous athlete already. His his my his granddad played in the NFL, so his wow. his 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 fast twitch muscles are ridiculous. And then uh, my second son, we just had him, and um, he's in like the ninety fifth percentile in size. He's already twenty pounds. So we'll see, man. We'll see. <laughs> we'll have to get him into to some uh, big man drills with Ray Hall over the years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah we gotta we gotta get it going though but i definitely plan on on when it when it all clears up i gotta get, make my way out to providence i've heard nothing but great things about the facility um i saw great pictures and videos but i need to i need to be there i need i want to do a walkthrough i gotta go touch base with guys like kenny white and you know kevin kerbeck and just really get get back in touch with it you know so i definitely appreciate you shout out to you and fryer podcast and i think it's going to be huge no, no other, no other, no other way than to just do what you love. You know, I appreciate that. Like I said, like growing up, you know, I had hoop dreams, you know, I, you know, did they, did they pan out? Not necessarily. I stopped growing and was like five, nine in high school and, you know, sat the bench. But at the end of the day, there was nothing that I looked forward to more than prior basketball. And I know there's so many people in Rhode Island that felt the same exact way. And like I said, you guys were like heroes to us growing up when you guys beat number one pit, we felt like we could do anything in this community. So um, huge shout out to you, Brian. Love the conversation. Appreciate you you coming on, and we wish nothing but the best to you and your family. And go Friars! Go Friars! We'd like to thank all of our loyal Friar podcast listeners out there for listening to episode four, featuring our special guest and Friar great Brian McKenzie. We are off next week with the holidays approaching, but as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Friar Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts as well as SoundCloud if you enjoy our content. And of course, go Friars. <laughs> <laughs>